Quicklink Daily Cycling Podcast is brought to you by quicklinksports.com. Hello and welcome back to Quicklink Podcast. This is show 286 for Wednesday the 13th of October. We ended up having a break after Paris-Roubaix and my apologies, those shows haven't yet been published to the feed but we'll come on to that a little later. I won't go into the full reasons for our week off um, as I'll just get emotional about it on the microphone but thank you to everyone who reached out to me on Twitter with words of support and comfort and to the gang here at Quicklink Towers, to Katie, Tom, Inigo, Nathan and Max for keeping me just on the right side of staying sane. For the foreseeable future, likely until the UAE tour kicks everything back off on the road season with um, the Cadell Evans Road Race and what's the other one? Oh, the tour down under not yet being penciled into the calendar. We'll be moving to three shows a week, Monday, Wednesday and Fridays. One of those shows will be a full news roundup, likely on the Monday after the weekend action, especially with lots of cyclocross taking place. Wednesday or Friday, one of them will be an interview. We've got one of those coming up for you today with Nico Sessler. And on the Friday show, we'll have a co-host on where we'll look back at some of the highlights from 2021 in a section we'll call How the Race Was Won. And what we'll do is we'll pick up some of the races that we have missed in the last 12 days or so. So you've got Roubaix, Lombardia, etc. Our first one will be with the Women's Tour. So that's the admin. Once again, thanks for sticking with us. It has been quite a wobbly couple of weeks. 12 days have passed since our last show, so happy birthday for the past dozen days to, in order, Jake Stewart, Joss Loudon, Marcus Hulgard, Sam Culverwell, Sarah Gigante, Max Bolton, Sana Kant, Abner Gonzalez, Pierre Roland, Callum Laborde, Michael Woods, and today to Joe Holt, Johan Museo, Carlos Betancourt, and Patrick Conrad. So, where are we with the latest team and transfer news? Astana have announced they'll be known as Astana Kazakhstan next year. UAE Team Emirates have taken over the Women's World Tour licence of RLA BTC. Premier Tech have walked away from a potential headline sponsor of Team Bike Exchange next year. And Kubeka, NextHash and Delco both continue to look fully in the shit for 2022. Riders on the move next year include Ineos duo Sebastian Enau and Leonardo Basso. Both are heading to Astana. While Ivan Sosa is also leaving the British team, he's off to Movistar. George Steinhauser steps up to world tour level with a ride with EF Education Nippo, with the American team also signing Irish champion Ben Healy from Trinity Racing. Talking of Trinity, Sam Watson, who's been riding as a stagiaire with Trinity from the Great Britain cycling team, he is off to FDJ's continental team, being joined by fellow Brit Finlay Pickering and Australian Jensen Plowright, who raced for Blackspoke. In other moves, Corinne Labechki leaving DSM for Jumbo Visma's women's team, stepping up to World Tour next year. Dimitri Claes is swapping Kubeka for Intermarché. They have also signed Adrian Petit from Total Energies. Gorka Izagira is another rider who's swapping Astana for Movistar, while Joe Dombrowski is joining Astana from UAE, with UAE also picking up Alexis Brunil from FDJ. So we won't bore you with me reading out another list of things that have happened in the past 12 days. We'll deal with that on Friday when we look back at the races that we haven't yet covered. So today our feature interview is hosted by Katie and Anna who chatted to Nico Sessler of Global 6 Cycling. He finished second in the mountains classification at last month's Tour of Britain, sandwiched between classification winner Jacob Scott and his Canyon DHB teammate Rory Townsend. Links to Nico's social media and Gregario podcast, as well as where to find Katie and Anna online, will be in the show notes. We'll let this close out the show, so we'll be back on Friday with a look at how the race was won. We'll drop in first with the women's tour, which was held during our week off. We'll talk to you later. Here's Katie, Anna and Nico, and thanks for staying with us. Hi everyone, welcome to Quick Link Podcast. I'm Katie, I'm here with my co-host today, Anna. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. And we have a very special guest for you today. We first met him back in the Tour of Britain and he was a really popular guest. Um, the listeners really enjoyed listening to him and we definitely wanted to get him back on for a proper chat, get to know him a little bit better. It's the fabulous Nicholas Sessler from Global Six Cycling. Welcome, Nicholas. <laughs> thank you, Katie. Thank you, Anna, for receiving me here at the Quicklink podcast. Indeed, we had a chat at the parking lot in Tour of Britain in a windy day. I think it was in Edinburgh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, pretty, pretty quick one, but it's a, it's a, an honor and a pleasure to, to be back here. And thank you very much indeed for the, for the invitation. Thanks very much. Yeah, it was, it was very windy. I think that was part of the problem, actually, that we uh, we couldn't hear half of the, your replies properly on the on the audio. So back to 
get you on and find out lots more about you. So first of all, tell us a little bit about where you are in the world um, and what it's like and what you've been up to the last few days. <laughs> well, um, I'm currently in Valencia, Spain. Uh, I believe that the weather here is now a little bit better than uh, you that are listening there in the UK and doing it. Uh, we have now sunny, 28 degrees, so definitely cannot complain about it. Uh, and uh, as you've mentioned before, I'm a, I'm a Brazilian professional cyclist, uh, currently the, the only Brazilian cyclist in the professional peloton, which is uh, a little bit of a sad, a sad note for our um, cycling in Brazil, but it is what it is. And I race for a New Zealand uh, continental team that's called Global Six Cycling. But actually, as the name of Global Six uh, mentions, we have riders from all over the world. And, and it's actually quite an international and multicultural team. So it's, uh, it has been quite, a, quite a, new ex uh, a nice experience, I can say, to know and learn a little bit through, through cycling from different cultures, different countries, and um, really, really enjoying it. I mean, you say that you're um, the only Brazilian in the peloton. I mean, is that, you know, um, because uh, road cycling is not so popular in Brazil? Yes and no. Uh, road cycling has grown a lot, especially in the past 10 years and uh, especially with the COVID now, uh, I think, which is, I think is a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, we see shortage in the industry of pretty much everything. And I think it's uh, from carbon fiber to group sets, to wheels, to tires, to everything. Uh, so cycling as a sport in Brazil is huge at the moment. And just to put in a, a few figures, uh, you have the, the big the sportive event organized by ASO, the L'Etape du Tour, which is um, a stage of the Tour de France. And after the French one, The original one, Brazil, is the second biggest one in the world in terms of uh, participants and revenue for ASO, which is to say uh, business of cycling in general and bicycle-related business in Brazil is huge. So there, is a, there are lots of people riding their bikes. What happens is that uh, road cycling specifically is not seen as a professional sport there. There are almost no races actually uci races there are none uh, no teams no structure uh, no place where young kids can start go to a club the, the club system doesn't exist over there so we lack we lack road cycling culture as a professional sport on the other hand what is really strong and has grown a lot uh, is the mountain bike scene in brazil which uh, at the moment, uh, I think we had for the last year, we, Brazil was between the top three nations in the UCI road ranking, we, world ranking. We had Enrique Avancini, who was for, uh, for many months number one ranked in the world. Uh, and we have plenty of races, plenty of events, plenty of teams, plenty of everything, mountain bike uh, directed, which just... Uh, feeds itself once the uh, the wheels are are rolling, which means as a young kid uh, that are beginning to to have a contact with the bicycle road, because in the end, cycling I mentioned is not only road cycling, it's not only mountain bike, but it's bike related. Uh, he ends up going to naturally to the mountain bike. Why? You have a, a nicer environment. You have more events. You have more teams. You have more friends riding that. And finally, in Brazil specifically, it's a very big country. So it, the road structure, you could say, it varies a lot from region to region. So when you go to, to the more industrialized areas, so you could mention Rio de Janeiro, uh, Sao Paulo, where I'm from, and these big centers uh, and, and provinces, It loses nothing in terms of road structure to Europe and the best European countries, to put that in context. But indeed, you can go to areas of Brazil, which is where usually normal TV would show. That is really in the middle of nowhere. And there are no 
no asphalt to be seen in thousands of kilometers. So naturally, with this difference in structure, you have some places where you can ride your road bike and super time there and ride incredible places but you have a few region, a few or some regions in the country where it's impossible to think on riding a road bike you would definitely need to go to a mountain bike and more recently the gravel and um, and these other off-road uh, possibilities so from a practical sense it just makes more sense to ride mountain bikes in brazil than road bikes because of the infrastructure and so on how did you Depending, get into cycling then? How did that um, come about? Well, that's curious because indeed I began on mountain biking. Uh, I've started mountain biking when I, I was 10 in Brazil, 10 years old, uh, starting in, in, in normal local races and these things. Soon, uh, by, uh, by the time I got to under 17, which is, uh, I don't know, cadets, uh, what? what you would call that in the UK, but under 17, I think it's a good age for you to get. I, I began to travel around and through a program at the time, I raced for a, a, a local a team that was strong. It was uh, the Scott, Scott Bikes dealer from Brazil. He helped and I began to travel. I, I had the opportunity to go to Canada, uh, do a few Canada Cups, a few races in the, in, in the USA and began to to get in touch with international cycling. By the times I was juniors, I was doing a few World Cups, uh, World Championships, and all these things. But I always had pretty clear that if I wanted to make a site out of uh, cycling as, uh, as my job, my profession, and make a living out of the bike, uh, I would need to leave Brazil, especially back in that time, 10 years ago. Uh, Professional cycling, even on the mountain bike scene, uh, was not really feasible. Uh, was, there were very few riders who were capable of making a living out of it. Uh, and I, I always dreamed I was riding well. I was the best uh, Brazilian rider. I was a uh, few times podium in World Cups and these things. And I always dreamed of coming to Europe. It's like uh, that's where cycling really is. It's in Europe. It's in the... Uh, in the UK, it's in Belgium, it's in France, it's in Switzerland for the mountain bikers, the big mountains. And this is where the big races happen. We, we look at it, it's where our, our eyes uh, shine, right? So I always had that in mind that I would need to come. By the time I was moving from, um, from juniors to under 23 category, which are pretty tricky years for the mountain bikers, because pretty much you jump from a ju the junior category into racing directly with the professionals, with the elite riders. You still have the under 23 as a little gap, but most of the, of the UCI races, you start directly, both races starts together. You have a scratch, a general, and the under 23, but you are directly, I was nine, uh, 18 years old, 19 years old, and directly racing with the time. Uh, Julian Absalon in a shooter and the big names. It's obvious that it's, it's a couple of hard years. But I had the opportunity to come to race for a Belgium team, like um, similar to what would, we would consider a continental team on the road. And I was also studying at the time. I was doing uh, business and economics in Brazil at the University of Sao Paulo. And I had, uh, that was always a point for in my life that I always judged it. it was super important to do both at home and my family gave me all the support, but uh, having to choose had never been an option. So it's like studying always came as a, as a priority and the bike uh, on the side, they would support me with everything. So when I had the possibility to come to Belgium with the team, I also could uh, continue my as an Erasmus or exchange student in the University of Kent, which uh, was super close to where the team had the base. So I could like uh, kill two, two, two birds in one single shot and, and have the structure of uh, the team, uh, the housing and everything that the team provided me, but using it as well to continue, uh, to continue the studies. What happened? is uh, I went to live in the middle of Flanders and it, that, it didn't take so so long until I ended up doing a few Kermes races and uh, 
getting a little bit of a feeling for the um, for the road cycling and that's uh, that's more or less how the transition uh, the transition happened so do you um, manage to get back to Brazil as much as you'd like mm, not as much as would as I would like um, I say many times I look at the European teammates. Uh, I mean, Europeans, I, I consider uh, the UK as well. Let's keep politics apart from the, <laughs> from the conversation. But yeah. I see that they are super spoiled with, the pro, with some things uh, because I have, uh, as a foreigner, I, and then I think um, American listeners, uh, Colombians, uh, Canadians, Australians, New Zealanders, they will pretty much identify We've, we've got that we are kind of obliged to make Europe our homes because, again, cycling in general is an European-based uh, sport and we have to be here. Uh, it would be not feasible that between races I fly back 12 hours to Brazil and then if the team needs me five days later, I have to fly back five hours again. Uh, it seems much uh, financially and um, fatiguing. It's, it's impossible. It's not, uh, not something that we can do. So we kind of, uh, as, as foreigners, I'd say, we, ha we have to make from Europe our home. And in that point, I've always looked at this, to some teammates and said, yeah, it's super nice. So when, when you finish that race, especially when it didn't go as well as you expected, and you can go back home, recharge, speak your own language, uh, eat your uh, own food and have this cozy house uh, house feeling let's say uh, to recharge the batteries because in the end it's super important to find this disconnection and this this point of balance between being a professional uh, cyclist training really hard going and giving your best at the races but you are also a human being in the end and to be a good bike rider in a good uh, athlete or a good profession, uh, professional in whatever you do in your life, being that uh, changing stocks at the stock market, interviewing people for a podcast, or just selling coffees and uh, cakes at the bakery, you've got to be happy because you are a human being. And you need to find this balance in life uh, between your job, so in our cases, the the athlete side of uh, of a person and also the human side uh, and, and at that point going back home and having that life is, is super important or in my case or in the case of many finding a place where you call home uh, be that brazil be that colombia be that uh, canada or be that spain whatever belgium so you said you're in Valencia. Uh, whatever you feel. Is that, sorry, I think there was a little glitch on the on the connection there. Um, is that where you f call home at the moment then, Valencia? Is that your main base? Definitely. Uh, took, took me some time to, to find it. Uh, curiously, when I was in Belgium, I was for over four years. Yeah, we mentioned at the beginning of the program, my stay there. Uh, and and the, uh, the weather was terrible. Uh, the roads to train for a climber were not so good as well. The races didn't suit me at all. Uh, but I loved Belgium because uh, I really called, uh, I called it home. My transition to Spain happened a bit of um, in a curious way because when I began uh, road cycling, I, I was already a bit late into it because I uh, I only started racing in the road in my last year under 23 uh, with a Belgium under 23 team called the VL Technics at the time. And we did uh, like a really nice under 23 calendar with races like Liege Baston Liege, many of those French uh, amateur races. So I remember Tour de Jura, Kreis Breis, uh, Tour de Piemont Pyrenees in the Pyrenees, we did Giro de Val d'Aosta, Lombardy under 23, so a series of nice uh, races for climbers. 
Uh, and in one of those races, I got to know the guy who is now my, my mentor. And he was really curious to see what is a Brazilian doing in a Belgian team, uh, racing on the road that I've never heard about it. And a, a 56, 57 kilo guys in Belgium, that makes no sense. Because for them, the common path for Latin people is to come via Portugal or Spain, mainly due to the language barriers. Uh, so when he said, he said, Nico, uh, okay, I see you like Belgium, you have no problems with it, but maybe if you really want to be professional on the road, uh, you could really benefit from coming to Spain because in the end, the, the, there is also a strong uh, amateur scene here, uh, Matur and the races suit you better, the language, the weather, uh, the culture is closer to, to what you have uh, as Indian, and I think it should really suit you. And indeed, I came to, to Spain. I did half a season with uh, Team Lizarte, which back in the time was, uh, they were like a feeder team for a movie star. Now they have their own team, which is a Ken Pharma at the pro continental level. The, the Lizarte team still goes on as maybe one of the best under 23 teams in, in Spain, Europe, we could say. Uh, so I did half a season with them. Things went really well. I got the option uh, of a stagiaire contract with uh, Israel Cycling Academy. Uh, and from the good performance with Israel, uh, they, we were not really sure that Israel would, uh, would give me a contract or not, but I got an offer to to move professional with uh, Burgos BH, which back in the time was moving uh, towards the pro-continental category. Uh, and then, obviously, my ties with Spain got stronger. And when I turned professional, uh, the I had to, to look for a place to live, uh, house myself and look for all these uh, moments. Because before, uh, with the amateur teams, I always always living in uh, teams, uh, different teams' houses that they would uh, provide. Uh, so then uh, that, that was the moment when I began to, to look for my own place. And um, due to, to some friends I already had in Valencia, the weather, the, the good logistics and everything, I, I ended up coming, coming here and feel, feel fine. That's good. You found your place. <laughs> um, yeah, so we were going to ask a bit more about Global Six, actually, because obviously um, you said they've got a bit of a different ethos. They've got lots of um, people from different places around the world, very multicultural vibes. Tell us a bit about the team. Um, Oops, we have an intruder. Yeah. Sorry, my, my dog's very loud. Mm, no <laughs> problem at all. I know pretty well how it, uh, how it is. She's very, um, yeah, she's very talkative. She wants to be involved. Um, so yeah, tell us a bit about Global <laughs> Six and about what they're all about. And um, I, don't, I, I think that maybe Quick Link listeners aren't too familiar with them as a team. So it'd be good to know a bit more about them. Yeah. Um, the story of Global Six uh, came, comes a little bit of a, of a crisis, I think. Uh, as most uh, businesses start that way, I, I guess. Uh, it happens that during this period in Burgos BH, I got to know James, James Mitri, uh, the New Zealand rider and founder and now general manager of, um, of Global 6. Uh, we were teammates back, uh, back in Burgos. Uh, he was uh, super young back at, back at the time because he moved straight from juniors into professionals with Burgos. Uh, and a little bit maybe due to a language barrier or I don't know. Uh, I was one of the few guys who actually spoke to James because most uh, Spanish uh, writers and people in general, they don't speak much English. Uh, so we, as, uh, as teammates, we became friends and, and, and got, in, got in touch. In 2020, he moved to an Italian team, uh, Vini, Vini Zabu, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But we still kept in touch. By the end of the year, due to the COVID uh, situation, we've both found ourselves without, uh, without a team. And I must say, I think uh, in some sort of a similar, we had a similar feeling that we were both extremely unhappy 
maybe even depressed, uh, I can say for myself, with uh, how, how my life was going in general, how I was being treated, how I saw cycling, uh, the cycling system uh, as a whole. And I was pretty close uh, to, to stop. Uh, and, and finishing my, my career as a, as a professional cyclist because I was just not uh, I was just not enjoying it and I, I began to, to realize that I was not happy the way the way I was living and the period of the, of COVID really helped me to to open my eyes and uh, and realize that and that's when uh, uh, by December 2020 I mean. Christmas week, maybe uh, when I when I posted uh, about uh, that I was uh, stopping uh, with Burgos and I was going to 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 go towards the mountain bike side, which was where I began and where my heart felt I should go and I enjoyed being in that uh, in that road. James James called me and said, "Nico, you remember that we had an idea about starting uh, a professional team? I'm New Zealand first." make that dream of a first New Zealand professional team and everything. Uh, at this point, I cannot guarantee you absolutely nothing. I don't have a sponsor. I don't have a license. I don't have anything. But I will try to make it happen for 2021 and we see where this goes. I want to make a national team. Yeah, the first New Zealand-based professional team, but with a global um global mentality, bringing riders from all over the world. That's where the, the name comes from, Global Six, to uni, unify and bring together all the continents through through cycling and through the bike. So I want, that's what James told, I, I really want to make things different because we see that in cycling, uh, we tend to see really that old school uh, same mentality that goes on and on again and the same uh, old uh, general managers, things being done the same way and being said to the riders the same things and that's the way it goes. I want to make things different. I want something that stands out with a mentality because I want that we go to the races and we are happy and we show that and that it's uh, we are just a different uh, environment, a different team, because it's not because you're, you are a professional rider that you have to be sad, paranoid with your food and uh, with your watts and all these uh, watts per kilo and training, 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 super close, don't want to, to talk to nobody. No, that's, that's bullshit, pardon the, the, the expression. Uh, we can do things different uh, and try to to make something out of that. And that's more or less how the the mentality and how the team has uh, has started in 2021. Obviously, uh, as a first year uh, continental team, a professional, and something that surged uh, in Christmas weekend in time to have a proper structure, it has been quite a, quite an adventurous journey, I can say. Uh, in our first race, uh, was back. It was in the end of March. Uh, we we were pretty rental van still. Uh, bikes were missing and everything. But slowly and we, with the effort, things are getting getting together. And I think that the tour of being invited and doing the tour of Britain as we had the opportunity to do this year was just a cherry on the on the cake on a on a really really nice uh, year. Uh, at least at the personal side and uh, enjoying side is definitely a year that uh, will I remember uh, for a long time in my life. Well, when we saw you at the uh, Tour of Britain, uh, you came second on King of the Mountain, probably due to your sort of your attacking style being quite often in the break. Is that normal for you? Is that how you like to uh, to tell your races? Definitely, definitely. Uh, it's something that I say. Uh, I think no, nobody. A young cyclist uh, look at him and say, yeah, I want to be a domestic and a breakaway rider. No, everybody tries to connect. Oh, I want to be like Van der Poel, Bernard, a sprinter, Cavendish, uh, or I'm a puncher, I'm uh, a La Philippe, a climber, whatever. But it's something that when you move, 
from uh, from the amateur ranks, uh, juniors under 23, into professional, um, you're gonna realize that everybody there has a job uh, and something to do and something that you have to do do it well. And to be able that actually deliver the results, so a rider who win races, there are very few. And teams, professional teams, they don't need a rider who is doing a top 15. You say, whoa, I came uh, 15th uh, in the Tour of Britain and uh, the GC. Man, that's an incredible result. You are a really good rider and teams know that. But that's worthless for a team. That's unfortunately, that's the reality. They need the guy who are on the podium or doing the top five or winning, actually. Because to, to have the, the top 15 guys, they have plenty. Look at Ineos, look at Jumbo, or look at Quickstep. How many guys in that roster can easily do a top 10 in any races they go? But they need to win. So in that point, you kind of have to find your uh, balance into what you do well. And I quickly realized that, yeah, uh, I'm a good rider, but for me to, to be winning races, hmm, I will still be quite hard, sincerely. So what do I do well and what do I like to, to do? Well, actually, I like to ride full gas from the gun. And uh, that's something I learned on the mountain bike. And I enjoy myself there. I have no, no problem with it, attacking, trying, because... You never know what might happen. And that is the way I see that uh, I might leave a result in a, in a lucky day. Like, uh, and, and the possibilities, they come. You see Rob Carpenter in the second day we were in the breakaway. He made it to the finish. Uh, and that's the way I, I see myself. And I, I enjoy riding, uh, giving visibility to the team because in the end, we appear, our story is uh, taken, people see, hear about it, uh, but also to give visibility and trying and deliver results to, to myself. Because I know that if I stay in the middle of the peloton and maybe I do a top 15, well, it's a super result. I know I must be in really good shape, but who sees that in the big it's picture? It's really cool that that... Um because it's a team that's new and, and you're already invested in, in the success of that team, not only from a financial perspective, but because it's something that inspired you to keep going um, with cycling when obviously you were having doubts. So the fact that you can combine that kind of, that drive to be at the front, um, to show the jersey, and that's your investment in the team is being rewarded and you're, you know, you're getting to ride the way that you, that you want to ride at the same time. I think that's fantastic. Really good to hear. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's actually a little bit the mentality behind it. I think what's really... One of the points is that, like uh, like I said, I'm just coming back from a mountain bike race uh, here locally in Valencia. And it's curious because maybe now teams are opening their eyes to the importance of uh, mixing disciplines and everything. But if you go a little bit back uh, a few years ago, before Van Der Poel and Pitcock came to, to show that this was not a problem, or Pauline Van Prevost, whoever you want to, to use as examples. Uh, people, uh, professional teams were super close to mountain bike on the road. They were no, that's super dangerous. You may not do it and everything. And that's another point, for example, with, uh, with Global. Uh, there is distrust in each other. And it's to say, Nico, you want to go do mountain bike? Well, for us, it's super. It's extra image. Uh, we know that Actually, for you, it's good to keep you in good shape. You are happy, you enjoy. So we are more than happy to support you. So that indeed shows that um, it's both ways, the, this uh, investment in, in this team-athlete relationship. And in my opinion, it's the way it has to be because it has to be a trust uh, relationship on both ways. It's a marriage in the end. It's like, uh, it, it, and it's like that with any professional um, a relationship should be at least to make it su successful definitely yeah it sounds really good it's um it's interesting actually the sort of success of uh, that more and more guys that are, that are having success with the cross-disciplinary um you know whether it's whether it's cyclocross and road or track and road 
mountain biking and road or even a combination of more than that it just it seems as though that teams that are willing to kind of make that leap of faith and invest in those kind of multi-discipline skills reap what they sow they, they get the rewards in the um those sort of the skills that you can take and onto the road I think that's really it's really good so it's great that you found the team that's willing to support that definitely in the end I, I say everything that you are on top of a bike um, and cross disciplines it uh, there is a there is a crossover because in the end again you are a human being you are an athlete so you should not be afraid to to mix uh, mix things up uh, as long as you are happy doing it you have base obviously if you have never ridden a mountain bike before in your life please don't go jump uh, jump on a mountain bike and hop the trails because you're gonna kill yourself yes uh, but everything adds to each other but it's also important to keep your main goal in mind because it's very easy for a young guy to get lost and tangled up in all the all the mixed disciplines and because now I have to do cross, I have to do mountain bike, I have to do this and that. No, 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 wait. You have to do what you like and have a clear goal. What is your goal? Oh, my goal is road cycling. So whatever goes around, you can use to prepare because it will add up to you or if you like it and it's not detrimental, then it can work as well. So that in mind, we're doing your uh, your mountain biking and your road uh, cycling. What's uh, what are your main aims for the next twelve months? Mix of both, concentrating on one more than the other. What have we got lined up? Yeah, I think something uh, on that line, mix of both. Uh, but definitely, my my goal is on on road cycling. Um, I mountain bike has changed a lot in the past uh, in the past few years. And that's actually one of the reasons where I chose to be a road cyclist because I saw that uh, genetically I'm not a very explosive guy and cross country especially has gone really, really shorter and shorter, becoming more and more explosive. And the technical side has become really more extreme and requires some specific, uh, some specific trainings. We've seen Vanderpool in the Olympic Games, a big crash and everything. So I have my, my, clear, uh, my goal clear that is, um, my main priority would be on the road, especially with the team. I hope the team uh, will be able to step up a little bit in terms of a better calendar. Already being our second year, we will have something more pre um, foreseeable and uh, that we can actually work upon in terms of uh, doing a proper periodization. But I definitely want to continue on the mountain bike side especially on those uh, stage races marathons um, I'm a little bit spoiled because that here in Spain is super strong we the, the mountain bike UCI calendar you have pretty much one race every weekend um, and when doing both with the clear goal in the road but I think that uh, doing both can be can be really beneficial so you would tell us about your goals for the road season next year. Do you have any particular races in mind uh, with the team that you are targeting? Um, can you tell us, uh, give us a hint about where we might see you? Well, I mean, that's... Obviously, uh, I was say, obviously, we want to see you back at the Tour of Britain next year. I, I, I would say that uh, definitely I want to, to be back and this time maybe bring the jersey, uh, the key of mountain jersey. <laughs> But at this point, I must be, I, will, I still don't really know and have clear which races uh, we would do. Uh, you've put, you took the roads out of my mind, Anna. Uh, I would love to go back to Britain because I was really excited by the passion and it was one of the nicest races I've done, uh, really. And it's the one that for sure, if we have the opportunity to come back next year, it will be red market on my on my calendar but at this point it's still a little bit open because uh, we got to see where do we do we get the confirmation of invitations and uh, and then work work from there because at this point i really blue on that one it's hard to it's hard to know fingers crossed we'll hope we'll see you back um it definitely seemed to be a a match made in heaven um nico and britain was like yes you've got to be over here 
good roads for you and you're obviously loving the racing and um, making lots of friends over here so yeah definitely keep <laughs> hoping for that outcome <laughs> um, yeah I can uh, I, I definitely hope then uh, next year if we come back will be will be a pleasure <laughs> um, is there anything that you haven't talked about yet or you would like to tell the Quicklink listeners about that we haven't discussed yet Oof, there are plenty of things that we could talk. You've seen uh, that uh, you even had to split the, the Zoom call into two because I, I speak maybe a little bit too, uh, even on the team. They, they call me I'm the Radio Nico <laughs> because I'm uh, constantly talking. Although in the races, I, I'm not talking that much. Yeah? I can guarantee you that in the middle of the peloton, I'm usually a little bit speechless. <laughs> really? Why is that? Uh, <laughs> Too tired? Or? Well, I, I'm a little bit out of breath. Then uh, it, it makes it more different. No, oh, but oh. jokes apart, I really think them, I'm, I'm a little bit that way because I, I like to inspire people in the end because I really think that as professional cyclists, we are here to bring uh, happiness and joy to people. So it's also part of my job for the person who's watching a bike race, who's here listening to the podcast, that when you finish, uh, you put play or you put uh, turn on the TV to watch us, uh, we make your, your day better somehow. Uh, either you learn something, you get inspired to go out and ride your bike or something like that. Because uh, sport in general, being that basketball or football or cycling, whatever, we are here to entertain people and make people's life better. So I really think that I have a, a, um, a job and a role in that, and that is to, to inspire people. So I really like to talk openly. Don't be afraid of saying, yeah, we have gone through rough moments like everybody goes in life. You have your periods of doubts. You have your periods of problems and um, anxieties and, and whatever we all do doesn't matter again if you are a cyclist if you are selling newspapers uh, in the corner or whatever you do we are human beings and i really like to talk openly about that and i hope that my story and um, whatever i do i i really hope that in the end if you you press play here in the podcast and you turn on the tv um we make your day better and that's um that's something I, I stand for. I love oh, that. You said you like to, uh, sorry, that is not, yeah. You're saying you like to talk. How many how many languages do you speak? Um, I've heard oh. it's five. Is that right? Yeah, more or less, more or less. Uh, <laughs> well, Portuguese, uh, uh, as my mother, uh, I had to speak. Then luckily enough, my, like I said, at home, uh, education has always been a priority. So since I, Remember myself as a person, I also speak English because my parents put me in like a, a bilingual uh, uh, school back in Brazil. So I, I learned both, uh, well, Portuguese, obviously, and also English as a young kid. When I begin traveling through cycling, and that's where the point where I say that I'm super thankful to the bike for everything that it has brought uh, in my life. Uh, I own almost everything to, to eat. But when I, I started, uh, I began traveling. As I mentioned, I went to Canada, I went to Quebec. And in Quebec, they speak French. Uh, I quickly saw the importance that I needed that just with uh, Portuguese and English, I would not go far. So I had to learn French. I came back in that summer, uh, back to Brazil. And I said, ah, I will go to, to summer school. Uh, the, the school season in Brazil, being in the South Hemisphere, is the opposite to Europe. So our big holidays are December, January, February, and our short, uh, short holidays are in July. So I took this period in the off season that was a big holidays in Brazil. I, I went to study French in an intensive course. I went every day four or five hours because I say, yeah, I know I will go back to Canada next year and I need to be speaking French because yeah, I have to communicate. I have to be there. Uh, and that's, how I learned French and then obviously by speaking because only on school you can learn up to a certain point 
And that really opened doors for me later to, to Belgium, for example, because the, 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 the Belgium team went to race forward. It was from Wallonie, which they only speak, uh, they only spoke uh, French. I was living in Flanders, uh, which is the northern part of Belgium, but the team was from, uh, from Bologna and I had to complete the team in French, but I was actually studying in Ghent. So in the first year I could do a master's program in English, but then I quickly had to, when I want to continue, I had to learn Dutch. Uh, so that's how I had to learn, learn, uh, learn Dutch. Uh, uh, later, when I came to Spain, same story. I had to learn Spanish, although Portuguese and Spanish, they, some people might say it's the same, but it's not. Uh, and then a little bit also uh, through some um, through some roots I had in the family and these things uh, a little bit of German I also I also had to learn but I wouldn't say I can speak German though. So it's nearly six then. <laughs> five, five and a half. And a half. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's very good. Who, who do you um who is who do you sort of aspire? Um, to be like whether in the cycling world or other, who inspires you it may be outside of the cycling world well uh, that's curious I think we cannot take uh, and make many make many idols because everybody uh, are human and uh, everyone has their uh, their fails in the back but being being Brazilian a very inspiring character in our culture is Ayrton Senna the former Formula One driver. He was very charismatic and it's very hard to find anyone both in Brazil or anywhere that wouldn't uh, say good words out of Senna. He was super focused, super professional, uh, had a lot of greed and never never gave up. So I would say that uh, Senna is definitely one that I, I look upon. And Inside the cycling world, is uh, curious, maybe my mountain bike roots. I would say the two riders that really uh, i grown up watching are uh, the French rider Julian Absalon, who was uh, back when I was starting, was uh, a reference. But as a human being, um, the Spanish guy, Ermida, who is a super character, also always happy, laughing, making jokes. Um, and it's always a guy who I found really nice to to watch and uh, and inspired me. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for for your answers. You've been you're really sort of <laughs> easy and honest to talk to, and and um, just yeah, I love I love that you sort of have that vibe of wanting to inspire other people and make them just have have a good day, have a better have a better day from watching cycling. And that's that is at the end of the day why we well speaking personally why I watch cycling. It's you know it's it's inspirational watching you guys compete and um, yeah, it's definitely well it always cheers me up. <laughs> and it's obviously because it's not me having to go through it mainly. <laughs> That always helps. We uh, we uh, touched on briefly uh, that you did uh, you do the mountain bike racing, the road bikes. Did you race anything else? I mean, you sort of hinted earlier that you might be uh, might have been doing something on some other sort of racing. On no, the you mean you... other disciplines? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, not um, not not really. More the mountain bike and uh, and these things. Uh, I watch plenty of uh, of sports and everything but uh, I, I played basketball when I was young uh, but I still haven't grown up I'm still a meter 69 so I've never made it into into basketball <laughs> so I better stick with the stick with cycling excellent um we'll we'll round it off for now um I think that the quick link listeners will be really pleased um that we've gotten to know you a little bit better and I think maybe we could do this again sometime um, and catch up maybe sometime next season and see how everything's going and find out more about um, how the team are getting on and hopefully find out once and for all whether you will be returning to Britain next year to see us um, in person. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely it has been a big pleasure. Um, I am the one to say thank you really for the work you put on, uh, for everything, because you also have a super important uh, role in to promoting ourselves as riders, but into bringing joy to people. So thank you for the work you put. It's uh, I have after I didn't know you guys before, 
but I must say that after uh, after our interview in Britain, I kind of did a little marathon to to catch up, uh, and it's been a big pleasure. I'll always uh, up for a up for a talk. Uh, it will be it will be a pleasure. You can count on me whenever you uh, whenever you need. Fantastic. Well, I think we can count you as an official friend of the show. Um, and yeah, check, also check out Gregario podcast if you are a Portuguese speaker. I know you're very active in your own podcasting. We talked about that before. Um, and yeah, just sharing the podcast love around the world in whatever languages you may speak. Let's <laughs> may speak and if you don't speak less than five. <laughs> Indeed, it's a curious for people who didn't listen the other one. I also have together with two two friends in Brazil a podcast channel. It's called the the Gregario pod. Gregario is the term of domestic in, uh, in the world of Portuguese. So indeed, we are there to, to domestic for everybody to bring in nice story, good content and uh, everything bike, uh, bike related. Definitely. Maybe one day my Dutch will be good enough that we can do a Dutch version. <laughs> Probably not, but you never know. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> okay. Maybe around a few Belgian, maybe around a few Belgian beers in our uh, capacities to speak a different language. Uh, that sounds like a plan to me <laughs> definitely thank you so much nico for your time it's been a pleasure um and we'll speak again really soon yeah always a pleasure to speak to you nico yeah take care <laughs> and thank speak you to you soon thank much. you so much uh, great evening you too bye. take care bye You've been listening to QuickLink Podcast, your daily microdose of pro cycling news and results. You can find us across social media at QuickLinkPod, or you can contact us by emailing show at quicklinksports.com. You can support this show by using the code QUICKLINK when you shop with veloskin.cc for all your chamois cream and skincare needs, and also at efswheels.com where UK customers can get themselves a full set of tubeless-ready full-carbon wheels for under £500. Share the show, and we'll be back with you tomorrow. Bye now.